RC Plane Lab Podcast. This is Ron. And I'm Tom. Today we are going to be talking about receivers. Figured this would make sense since our last uh, episode talked about transmitters. So we'll just kind of work our way down the line. And uh, since we described what uh, transmitters did, now we'll talk about what they talk to. Receivers are what go inside the plane and listen to your transmitter. So what do you want to talk about first, Tom? Well, probably ought to get started with... uh getting the two to communicate, wouldn't you think? Sure. So, yeah, it's a it's a process called binding. Uh, unless you're not using spectrum and you're still using old school radios with crystals, then uh, there's really not much to it. You just make sure the crystals match the same frequencies, which I don't think uh, too many people use that technology anymore. No, but I'm sure there are some people out there that do. Um, and I'm guessing if they do, they probably already kind of know what's going on with the crystals and all that stuff, since you really kind of have to buy everything as a set to make it talk to each other. Yep. Um, you know, with the newer receivers that you bind together, they, you know, there's, there's no set that goes together. You can make them talk to any receiver, uh, or you can make any receiver talk to any transmitter as long as it's the same brand, um, or as long as they're on the same, uh, technology, I guess. Yep. Um, without actually having to change things physically on them like you used to with the old FM days. Yes. Yep. Which, yes. by the way, I did look up. There there used to be 60 channels 60. on the FM okay. band. Yeah. So that's what I, what I found out. And it looks like they skipped uh, 0.2 megahertz every time to go for the different channel. Yes, that was known as narrow band. That was uh, what they changed in, uh, I believe it was 90 or 91. Uh, but because before that, we were on, I, I don't think we had 60 channels before that. Because there was a lot of bleed over, you know, the technology didn't exist to really, really hone in that signal and keep it within that bandwidth. So, yeah, in 91, I think we, we all had to put gold labels on our transmitters. We had to send them off to the manufacturers <laughs> so they could, yeah, adapt them to uh, to the new standards. And all new radios had to be gold label certified so that they would operate on the narrow band, you know, one of those 60 frequencies. I think I actually have an old, my old X347 back here with a gold label on the back. With a date, even. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. That, yeah. That kind of dates you, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah, you got to get them talking to each other, and the way to do that is through binding. Okay, so walk us through it. What do you, what do, you do to bind your re, uh, your receiver to your, your transmitter? Okay, well, I'll, I'll stick to what I'm familiar with, which is Spectrum. Um, many of the other brands are, are, are similar in the process. You know, check the instructions that uh, come with their unit or, or Google it. Um, but uh, basically on a spectrum, you uh, you fire up the receiver with a bind plug, which is a, a plug that uh, that basically shorts the first and third pins uh, on the receiver and tells the receiver to start looking for a signal from your transmitter. Uh, and usually you get an indication of that by a flashing light uh, on the receiver. So you power it up yeah, with so, a... So, so what it does is it pulls the, the signal wire to ground. Okay. 
There you go. Yeah, it's not really shorting it out. Shorting it out, it's kind of a, a, a when I hear shorting it out, I think of something bad. Okay. Um, all, all, right. all you're doing is pulling that to ground, looking for a ground reference. That way it knows to go into a, a different mode when it boots up. Okay. So once you've got the receiver in bind mode, then uh, on the spectrum transmitter, you hold down the bind button while you're turning the switch on. And then the transmitter then goes into bind mode and looks for a receiver that's looking for a signal. Uh, and then it pairs with that uh, receiver. They communicate back and forth and agree on a protocol and a, a frequency, if you will, to communicate on. And then they agree that they will only accept signals uh, or transmit signals on that frequency. And this all happens really, really fast. And you only have to do it once. Um, I say have to do it once. Something that uh, you know we could talk about later. Something that uh, can be done more than once and should be done more than once under some conditions. Uh, we'll talk about that right. later. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's uh, that. in a nutshell, that's uh, once they're bound together, you turn everything off, uh, pull the bind plug out of the receiver, and then you're, you're, you're ready to rock and roll. So when you're binding, though, um, I don't know if they still recommend it or not, but they, they say you're supposed to be several feet away. Um, yes, you that's know, the, true. The receiver and transmitter should be several feet away. Yeah. That way, I guess it doesn't get overloaded with too much signal. Yeah, and you'll um, get you'll get an indication of that because uh, I know on my on my DX8, if I'm sometimes if I'm too close to the receiver, if I'm physically holding the transmitter too close to the receiver, it just simply won't bind. Um, so then I have to shut everything down, start the process over, and get a, get a, the transmitter at least a few feet away from the receiver, and then it usually, it binds just fine. But if it, it, if it either binds or it doesn't, uh, there's no half binding or partial binding or anything like that. It either binds or oh, it really? doesn't. Yep. Okay. See, I didn't know if there was, or if it had anything to do with like the amount of signal that was there. No. Um, nope. Because I remember I had one, uh, it was a, a Spectrum receiver, it was a little Park Flyer. Okay. That I lost signal on, and I that was before I knew how to bind, and I, I was really close to binding, or really close together when I was binding it together. Okay. Um, but, and I I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember after I or after that happened, where I lost the airplane because I lost signal, I was looking somewhere online, um, and it said something about that it's very important, especially for park flyers, to be bound, binded, bound. I don't know. Bound. To be bound from a farther distance. Um, hmm. Like I said, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I did have a problem. That's the only one I've ever lost from losing signal. It's not like it was far away. Actually, you were flying it when it happened. Do you remember that one? I, I've That little... The pizza box. Or yeah, the, the little, little pizza flat box, guy. Little, yep. Yeah. I do remember oh, I love that. that airplane. That was a good airplane. Yeah. Yeah, I miss it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, But that, anyway, no, so that... That was the only one that I ever lost because of that. And like I said, after after that happened, I did look it up, and it said that when you bind those, it's supposed to be done at a farther distance. There's something special according to that one thing about park flyers, and I don't know if that's true or not, but just something hmm. to keep in mind. Okay. Always keep you know a good 10 feet um, just to be safe when you're binding, I think. Okay. That's kind of the rule I've gone with now that's, when I bind new things together. That's interesting because cause the bind process uh, shouldn't have anything to do with range. Um, so. Well, and that could very well be that it didn't, but you know, like I said, right. that was just something I came okay. up with after that when I when I looked it up, and it could be complete bunk that's not true. Mm. Um, but you know, best practice: go ahead and when you bind things, just have a, a few feet between between the two. Yeah. 
And then you can you can also perform a range test with uh, spectrum transmitters uh, by pressing the range test button, which reduces the output of the transmitter. And then you walk, uh, I forget how far it is, I think 30 feet, I think is what they recommend, and operate all the channels. And if everything is working, then you know you've got a good uh, you know a good uh, pairing, if you will. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea too. I guess. Yep, I do that on on every new installation. Uh, not necessarily a new model. If I pull a receiver out of one airplane and put it in another one and rebind it, um, anytime I rebind or bind a receiver, I I perform that uh, range function test before I fly it. It's just you know one more thing, kind of like a good pre-flight. You know, one one more little piece of insurance. Yeah, good idea, good tip. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, I don't do that. So I probably ought to start with some of these things, and maybe that would have caught that uh, that one problem I had. Maybe. You never, you never know. And yeah, and it, it could have been a brownout. Could have been, you know, anything right. weird going yeah. on with it. And I, I just don't know. Actually, I still have that receiver in a box. Um, and it was a Spectrum receiver. Maybe I ought to send it back into them and let them look at it and see if there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, my my guess though is if it's a Park Flyer receiver, they probably don't support those anymore, or at least not that one. Um, but you never know. Oh. I mean, you could certainly wouldn't hurt to hurt to you know get an answer at least. Yeah, because I, I don't plan on using it in anything else, so it's just kind of sitting there taking up room. So. Right, right. Yeah, might not be a bad idea. So yeah, I didn't once... know you could do that until you taught me that to send them back in when, <laughs> See? You know, when something goes wrong with it. So See, if anything has come too, out of this episode, good. you've learned something. So there we go. There you go, yeah. So yeah, once you've, got them, uh, once you've got them talking to each other, the transmitter and the receiver, then you have to start you know, uh, telling the receiver what to do, right? Assigning channels. Well... Actually, hold on. Before we go too far, I, I want to mention when you bind, um, so there's a, a, a battery slash bind port on most of these receivers, at least the ones that I've dealt with. So when you bind, you can actually put your battery in any port. That's correct. So on yeah, you spectrum, don't have to worry anyway. about, yeah, on Spectrum, because so the way those work is they have their power bus to where all of the, the negative and positives are bussed together. So every one of those pins is run off of the same uh, same connection. So when you power up, um, you know, if you, if you put the battery in the aileron port, they're all going to be hot. They're all going to have, um, have the, the, the negative on them too. So you're going to have ground and positive. So yes. signal is the only thing that really changes all throughout them. So when you're going ahead and, and binding it, you can put that in any port uh, as long as the, the bind plug is in the bind port. That's correct. So I, I just want to make that make that distinction too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's a, that's a good call because uh, I'm actually looking at one of my old um, AR seven thousand receivers and it doesn't have a bind port. It has a battery port and all my all my channels, but no bind port. So in this case, you plug the the bind plug into the battery port and then plug your power source into any of the available channels to do the binding. Yeah, and your receiver, you know, when you buy a receiver new, it'll, it'll of course, come with instructions and that tell you how to do it. But in general, um, if there's not a bind port specifically on your receiver, uh, the battery port will be the function you use to to set the, you know, to plug the bind plug in and set the uh, binding process in motion. And then, like you said, you can power up a receiver in any of the available channel slots because they'll pick up power okay, I got you now. from any of those feeds. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. Got it. Yep. Um, so what's next? 
So yeah, like I said, once you uh, once you've got them communicating with each other, you have to you have to start the process of uh, of plugging everything in and using up all those channels that are on there. Did you want to talk about channels? Yeah. So a normal um, I don't want to say normal. The basic really uh, amount of channels you want to fly with, I would say, is four. You I can agree. get away with yeah. You can get away with a three channel receiver. Three channel receivers uh, will control throttle, rudder, and elevator. Um, going up to the four channel is when you get the ailerons. So well, te- um, technically, you know, you they don't have to be those channels. Like a three channel, which I'm not even sure you can buy a three channel radio or receiver anymore. But um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean throttle aileron elevator. It could be throttle rudder elevator. It could be elevon throttle and I mean who who knows. But um, just because the I, I did want to touch on that just because. The channel is labeled, uh, for instance, on my AR seven thousand here. The very first throttle, or first channel, at the bottom is throttle. Well, just because it says throttle, it's still a proportional channel. It it can do whatever I want it to do, um, but it is set aside, and the programming in the transmitter will match throttle when you go looking through the uh, menus. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just yeah, wanted okay, to. Okay, so thanks, thanks for the correction. That's fine, and and you're right. I guess what I'm talking about is basic airplanes. Right. Like if you're just out looking at an airplane, yep. a normal three-channel uh, airplane slash receiver. Yes. Will normally control your throttle, your rudder, and your elevator. Exactly. Um, yep. So when you when you go to the ailerons, that's when you get your fourth channel. But you're right; you don't necessarily have to have those for those channels. Right. Um, you know, like we talked about before, dihedral. If you have a big enough uh, amount of dihedral built into your wing, you really don't need elevator, or um, you really don't need ailerons because it will kind of self-correct on its own. Um, but it's once again, I just want to want to say that it's it's good to get used to four channels. Um, Absolutely. And just kind of stick with four channel and don't go anything under. Yep. I could not agree more. Yep. Yeah. And so when you go up to like a fifth channel, most of the time that's going to be like a gear, uh, landing gear that are retractable. Or flaps. Um, or flaps. Yep. And then, yeah, your sixth channel is yep. kind of going to be flaps or, or gear too is usually what stuff is used for. Now you can, if you don't have landing gear that retracts or if you don't have flaps on your plane, you can use it for a lot of different things. Exactly. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that. Right. And, and sometimes too, if you just have six channel, you might need more than six channels to do six things. You know, your your gear, um, or not your gear, but your your flaps, you might want to have separate flaps uh, to be able to control your flaps separately. Um, and then maybe you can mix that with ailerons. So you have, you know, your flaps would also go up and down with your ailerons, but then when you flip the flap switch, then they go down. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do right. based on channels. And I think I think it would help, I mean, so channels, I mean, that, that used to be how how we thought of functions on an airplane. You know, an aileron is a channel, uh, an elevator servo is, is a channel. Anymore, uh, at least at least on, on modern, you know, radios that can do the mixing and stuff like that. We use channels a little bit differently. Like you, you kind of touched on, you know, flaps and operating them separately. Like lots of airplanes use use multiple servos to drive ailerons. So, I mean, I've got several airplanes myself that I have a, a servo in each wing panel to operate each aileron independently. And that takes an extra channel on the receiver um, if I want to operate them independently. 
Um, yes, you can drive them. You can drive them with a Y harness on one channel, but you're you're not truly operating them independently. So that's how you're going to get right. your your flapper on function to work. For example, is you'll have to use up another channel or slot on the receiver because you're then going to plug that second servo in the in the case of Spectrum. The I think it's the right hand uh, aileron servo will plug into that sixth if you will, channel or slot on the receiver. So it's, yes, they're channels, but but really, they're really more just plugs and independent functions. So, I mean, it, it can be kind of misleading when you say, yeah, I, I, I fly a four-channel airplane, but I'm using eight channels. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, yeah, I understand. So, you know, that... that kind of helps the discussion sometimes to, you know especially if, if you're going you know searching for a receiver to buy let's say um, I always say buy as much receiver as you can afford not necessarily what you need because um, I can't tell you how many times I've run out of slots or plug you know except receptacles on the receiver uh, because I'm using so many different servos to do this or do that or you know mix you know, Flapperon or Elevon or, or Ailer Vaders or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I always... Yeah, but most of the time when most of the time when you're building a plane, though, you kind of know what you're going to be uh, doing. Yeah. So, well, hopefully. I mean, I don't, I don't have like a bunch of extra receivers sitting around waiting for airplanes. So, you know, I, I will buy a receiver for an airplane as I'm building it or, or putting it together or whatnot. And then when you, when you kind of look ahead and, and know what you want it to have, then you know how big of a uh, a receiver to get. Most of the That's stuff true. I get is going to be six channel, um, even if it is just regular four channel airplane or, you know, one that controls your uh, um, your ailerons, elevator, yeah. rudder, throttle. So here's, here's a great example right here on my building board. This, well, hold this, on. Okay. Hold on. That's fine. Let me, let me finish this, my, my thought. What I was going to say, though, is, you know, even though most of them are four channel, I have used the fifth channel. Even if I don't have flaps or um, or retractable gear for like onboard glow heaters, okay, you can use that. Or if you have a, a gas engine, you might want to use that for um, for your choke. If you don't want to have a, a manual choke or a kill switch, um, and you can. Well, I was going to say that too, or a kill switch, and that's not a bad idea if you're working on a gas airplane to be able to turn it off sure. remotely. So, like the opto kill switches are a good idea. Um, you know, most of the time when you're when you're working on a, uh, like a nitro plane, you can just shut that throat all the way down, and that will kill the the motor. Um, I I've never set up a gas plane to do the same thing. I don't even know if you can or not. You can. Oh, you can. Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe next time when I set up a gas plane, that's how I'll do it. But I usually put the kill switches on it. I don't recommend um, setting it up that way, but you can. Oh, and what's the so, not to get off topic too much, but what's the what's the issue with doing that? Um, well, I mean, if your if your linkage gets bound up in the airplane, then you have no way to shut it off. For for one thing, unless you have an opto kill switch, and that could be dangerous. Um, you know, if the if uh, you you're on the on the ground, let's say, and you're you're going through your startup process, and you don't have an opto kill switch and you're not exactly sure where the throttle is set and you go to fire the thing up and runs at half throttle and takes your arm off that's another good reason to have an optos kill i mean there's lots of reasons uh, yeah, not yes, to yeah, set up an true. airplane that way but anyway okay 
All right. I uh, just curious. So go on. Yeah. So what I was going to say was, uh, you know, the example that's on my on my bench right now, this Horton kit. I mean, it's it's a fairly simple airplane. It's a flying wing with two electric motors. But uh, even with a Spectrum DX8 and an eight-channel receiver, I'm I'm out of um, I've used up all the slots, and technically, I I have the flap servos on a, on a Y harness because I don't have any more slots that I could use. Um, so even simple airplanes, uh, depending on on how you're driving the control surfaces and and what other function, if I wanted to put lights on this airplane, I that I could control from the transmitter, I simply couldn't because I'm out of I've got all my all my uh, servos and and the two speed controllers. They're all, all the slots in the receiver are occupied. So, um, I, I, I always, I mean, I will always tell people, you know, if they're shopping for a a receiver just to just to have or for their next project, uh, buy as much as you can afford because, um, you know, I I hang on to airplanes for a long time, but I also you know trade and whatever you know somebody likes an airplane I have I'll pull my radio gear out of it. Well now I have this radio gear and if if it's a six channel receiver well now i'm limited to putting this in a in an you know in an airplane with six servos or or five servos in an electronic speed controller or whatever i'm limited i'm mm-hmm. limiting myself and i have an eight channel transmitter so why not at least have an eight channel receiver so i can you know so i can use all those functions if necessary just just yeah, something I, I, I can see that yeah I, just something i i try to I try to do whenever I can. If I'm, you know, if I'm picking up a receiver, I'll, I'll try to pick up whichever, whatever is in the budget. Um, and, and maybe then some, if I can. Yeah. Oh, well, and I get that. I usually, like I said, just buy what I need for the airplane I'm working on. Right. Um, and I, I don't really think ahead that way. Um, and it, it really hasn't bit me too much because most of the stuff I'll, I'll buy is going to be like a six channel. I don't necessarily okay. buy four channels very often. Right. Um, right. I guess that does give me a little bit of extra leeway in case I need to add something to it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, most of my stuff is six channel. I have right. some seven channel, eight channel, but most of the stuff I have is just six. Yeah. And, and honestly, most probably 90% of the airplanes I fly would be just fine with a six channel. In fact, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm looking around the shop here. Um, well, I've got the Kristen Eagle. I think I have it set up with eight channels, but, um, yeah, I mean, six channels will fly 90% of the airplanes I own, but it's just nice to have that, those extra channels, you know, when the, should the need arise. Yeah. Buy, buy what you can afford for sure. But if you can afford a little bit more, um, I always say, you know, go for it if you can. Yeah, and and I understand that. So, like one of the other considerations too, though, is like for my my big yak, um, I actually fly that on an eight channel receiver, um, even though I have a lot of servos in it. Right. And that's because I use one of those smart fly boards. Um, would you want to go ahead and explain kind of how those work? Yeah. So a, a smart tray is a, is basically nothing more than a power distribution center, if you will. Uh, your receiver is still doing the receiving function, you know, receiving the signal from the transmitter and then sending it, you know, in this case to a, to a power distribution center, which allows you to plug in multiple servos um, on uh, there. There's lots of different ways and, and lots of different boards out there, but essentially let you, you know, if you, if you want to think of it as ganging servos up on 
one channel without using all the wiring and the wiring harnesses and all that. It's a nice, cool little board with all these plugs that you can plug into. And then you run a, a lead from your receiver to that particular channel on the board. And then the board divvies that up to the servos. Uh, usually, you know, they, they also provide provisions for um, optical kill switches that are built into the boards, which are pretty sweet. Um, they also offer uh, multiple um, power sources to be plugged in. So you have redundancy built into the, uh, especially like on your Yak, you know, you can use, I think it's two uh, receiver batteries. Uh, so you have that sort of redundancy right. and that extra capacity to drive those high volt or uh, high volume power hungry servos. Uh, so that's kind right. of what a, what a power board or a smart tray or a power distribution block or, or whatever you want to call it is it, is it allows you to, to really, really gang up those servos on those big control surfaces without using up a lot of slots in your receiver. And so what I like about that too, though, so you're, you're correct. I'm not powering anything through the receiver. Right. The only thing, uh, the only power the receiver sees is from the batteries yep. that go into the smart board. And then right. that handles all the, the, the higher amperage right. um, I, yeah, I, draws. I should have said that, but yeah, exactly, exactly what you said. The, the, the power is not going through the receiver to drive all those, those heavy duty servos. The power is actually going through that board, which is built very robustly to handle that current. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's made to do that. Yep. And the nice thing I like about them, too, depending on what kind you get, um, they will actually have separate endpoint adjustments and yep. uh, for each servo. So on my Yak, there's there's two servos per aileron. Okay. Um, and I used to use matchboxes on those. So okay. it's a what a matchbox was, it's a little, I think JR made it. And you can, you have one input going into it, and then it, um, it, matches the servos so a servo even when they're close they really don't put out the exact same um position and that could be just how you have it set up you know if you have your clevis just a little tighter on one than another you know that the the actual position will not be exact and you don't want those servos to fight each other you want them to work perfectly in unison with each other so they're not um, so they're not trying to change the other one's position. Right. Uh, you don't want you don't want any torque. You don't want any uh, twist in that aileron as as you're as you're flying. So what they do is you set your endpoints. Um, uh, you know your your full throws on them so that they're not fighting each other. And, and you can do that in the matchbox, which is uh, like I said, it's just a little box that uh, it's really not much bigger than a receiver. Okay. Um, and then usually those sit. I don't remember if I had those in the wing or if I had them in the in the fuselage. Yeah, it doesn't I don't matter. Remember. Yeah, yeah. So the the smart board though gets rid of those. And the thing I like about the smart board though is it also does the you know the the matching the endpoint adjustment and all that, so they're not fighting each other. Um, but it just makes the whole inside of the plane look so much nicer. It does. Um, yep. So you have single wires that go into the receiver, and it just, it makes the whole thing look a lot cleaner. It does. Uh, the installation yep. looks nicer, and it, it really works better, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we talked before about the the power bus that's in the receiver. Those are only made to to handle so many amps. Exactly. You, know, you don't want to pull a whole bunch of power through them. If you do, right. you can uh, overheat them. You can burn them up. You can have a lot of issues. Um, 
with even with the smaller airplanes because some of these newer servos are actually pulling quite a bit of power through them. Sure. So make sure you're not overloading um overloading your your receiver with it. And and what happened, you know, that's what happened to my plane when I almost lost it that one time to that big yak is that, you know, I think it was pulling too much power um through that receiver and then it just shut itself off and and reset itself because it was just pulling too much through it and it just kind of you know, freaked out. Yep. Um, Saw a low voltage and browned out. Yep. Right. Which I'm, I'm okay with that. I'd rather have it do that than actually, you know, catch on fire or mess something <laughs> up inside of it. True. Um, so, you know, with, with the running the smart boards in there, you're able to control the power where it's going. You're able to control the signals much better. Because uh, like I said, on, on not only do I have two, two uh, servos per aileron, there's two servos on the rudder. There's two servos for the, the elevator. So there's, there's a lot going on in there. Right. Uh, and a lot of electronics going together, working to make those, those actually work in unison and not fight each other. So... Smart boards, if you have a, a big airplane, are a good thing to have, I think. Yeah, I, I agree, especially if you're using, like you said, you know, you're using those high voltage, um, or the, I'm sorry, those high amp draw uh, servos and multiple power sources. They really do clean up the installation. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to power it off of two batteries, too, completely separate. Yep. You know, if you have a, a problem with one battery, you still have that other one in there to kind of help. Right. So I, I, I wanted to mention... Um, I hate to go backwards, but um, binding. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to say something about that too, but you you might be on the same page as I am. Well, yeah, what position the sticks should be in when you bind? Yes. Yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah. So usually uh, during the construction of an airplane or, or, or an ARF or anything that you're going to, you know, install your own radio in, um, you know, you'll have to you know, bind your radio system together so you can start using it. And then you'll, you know, you'll install your servos and then you'll set up your linkages and all that stuff. And on that first bind, um, your, your goal is to get the transmitter and receiver working together. And that, that's fine. Um, but once you have your airplane, um, especially the control surfaces set up, um, you'll want to bind it again and, Spectrum, I, I think Futaba offers something similar, but Spectrum offers a, uh, or they don't offer, they build it into their system. Um, oh gosh, I just the name of it escapes me, but it's a, it's a kind of a, a safety device that's built in such it's that, kind of like a fail safe. Fail safe, thank you. That's it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That is sort of built in that will drive the servos to a predetermined position. Um, in the case of a, like we were talking about your yak with the brownout. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that those positions are set during the bind process. So, you know, you, you, you've bound your radio and you're setting up your control linkages. And this is especially true for throttle um, and especially right, yeah. on electric airplanes. Um, <laughs> yep. You want to, when you get everything set up and, and you've, you've run, you got your airplane built and all the linkages are, are the where you want them and everything is centered, you really ought to rebind everything with those sticks on the transmitter in a position that you want those servos driven to in the case of a, a signal loss or a brownout or, or, or something you know wrong during the flight. And usually those positions, you know, low throttle and if you want, you know, maybe a little bit of up elevator and maybe some right, I don't know, whatever, set the plane up in a shallow, you know, glide, turning yeah. glide or whatever. Um, and those positions are set 
during the buying process. So like I said, when you're all done and, and the airplane's good to go, you're all finished, you're proud of your work, go back there and rebind it um, with the sticks in those positions because that's very important. And that's often um, a step that gets overlooked. And I know I've overlooked it many times, you know, and I go to the field and I turn the transmitter on and I turn the switch to the uh, to the airplane on and the servos go, you know, crazy in one direction. I'm like, oh, I forgot to, I forgot to bind it in my fail safe position. So just something to think yeah, about. So the, the what, brown also story very, reminded me of that. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. And it's also very important to remember if you ever reverse the direction of a servo to rebind, especially if it's throttle. Um, yeah, I think we, we both, yep. we both know the same person that had an issue with that. <laughs> um, he yeah. had an issue to where, you know, he got it all set up, got it running great, yeah. but the throttle was reversed. Right. Well, I laugh. I, I've, and... I've done it too. I, <laughs> I, I can't laugh at that individual. I've done it myself. So, yeah. It, well, but yeah. And then and then what happened was he lost signal. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to, you know, going all the way down to an idle, it was a, a nitro plane and it went to full throttle and it just flew away. Yeah. So very important to remember to do that. Um, and, and the other thing, you know, when you're, when you're going to the fail safe, like what I always do to check it, and I don't know if this is the right way to do it or not. Um, electric gas doesn't matter what kind. So I will act like I'm doing my run up, you know, when you're, you're standing, oops, you know, when you're standing over the airplane, right. Um, with your, with your feet, uh, holding it to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Uh, I will just turn my transmitter off. Yeah. That's one way. One way to test it. Uh, I prefer to do that with the engine not running, but yeah, uh, that's that's a way to well, test it. Yeah, I mean, right. So I mean, if it's an electric one, you obviously can't turn the engine on or off. I arm it and I do all that kind of stuff. But when I'm when I'm just checking to make sure everything is set up right uh, before I and this isn't done every time. I'm just talking about when I when I set one up. Um, so it's not every pre-flight. I don't do that, but it's right. after I get it all yep. bound together and, and get it and get it set up the way I want it. I'll just you know sit there and and turn it off and make sure it works right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, that's that's I, it. That's very important because you know if you're working on a little electric one and you don't have that set up and you know it's in your basement or, or something like that and you have it plugged in and then you don't think about it and you turn your transmitter off first and you have it not bound correctly with fail safe, then you're going to go full throttle and you can really get hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, especially like I said, if it's an electric one. So it, it just makes a lot more sense to do it the first time, make sure it's done right. And then always rebind it, you know, with the yeah. fail safes the way you want them. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yep. So should you, do you want to, do you want to, I mean, we talked about AS three X and, and safe in our, on our, you know, our other episode. Did you, do you want to hit on that again a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a good idea um, yeah. because that technology, you know, lives in the receiver. Absolutely. So, you, you know, not only do you get that when you buy an airplane that has that built in, um, but you can buy AS3X receivers. Um, and then, you know, those are very important to read the directions. Yeah. Because they have to be put in correctly. Yeah. Anytime you have a gyro in there or something like that, you know, it has to be, there's usually one way that can sit in an airplane and work. If you do it wrong, you're going to crash. Right. And and like we mentioned so. in the other episode, they, you know, they, after a little bit of research, don't, don't mount your AS3X receiver with Velcro. Right. Yeah. Um, needs to be a little bit too much. So that's, yep. that's good too. Yeah. It needs to be a good solid mounting. And like you said, it, it, it there's absolutely a direction 
um, or or several usually. I think uh, the last AS3X I saw, there was like three or five uh, acceptable mounting positions and nothing else. So, yeah, read the directions. Yeah, I've never actually uh, used one of those, and I, I don't necessarily think I plan on it either. Yeah, it's not it's not something that uh, that I'm terribly interested in 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 purchasing. If it if it comes with a with a foamy, then you know so be it. But uh, it's it's not a it's not a technology that I'm I'm going to seek out because like we like we said before, it's it's really a, a designed to be a, a a tool to to assist new pilots, you know, to, to you know to become proficient flyers and. I feel like I'm a fairly proficient flyer, so I, I don't need the the stabilization. But it does have. Yeah, you've a, only been yeah. flying for what, like 90 years now, so yeah, <laughs> it's not quite that long. But uh, I mean, you know, on the on the small foam airplanes, yeah, I guess you know, I had that little um, that UMX uh, E Flight Beast that had that technology, and, and it was pretty cool. It would, you know, on a windy day, I could fly that thing, uh, and it looked like there was no wind out there. But uh, I'm pretty confident that. Uh, uh, I didn't need that to at least fly the airplane, but anyway. Um, th- yeah, and my only, I guess my only other problem with those is, I, you know, I don't want it to give somebody a false sense of security that, um, well, this is how a plane flies, so I'm okay. Oh, it's 15 mile an hour wind, but that's all right. I've done this before. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, I you have to watch what you're doing and know your skill level. Right. And don't rely on the airplane to do it for you. Exactly. You know, no, that's my I, two cents. Take it for what it's worth. But yep. no, um, I agree. 100%. I prefer to be the one. Yeah, I prefer to be the one in control completely. Yeah. So yep. that's that's just me. Yep. And then you know, for flying for the hobby, I mean, I really think they're cool when you can program to take off and and land on their own and do all that with drones and all that too i think is is neat setting the waypoints and watching it fly go to different heights and all that but that's that's not that's not the hobby that i enjoy and and really that's really not the scope of of this podcast anyway no correct so that's, yeah sorry um, we shouldn't talk about that that's my okay. bad no that's okay um, and then you know, and then thanks for scolding me <laughs> the uh <laughs> the safe technology is is, is kind of kind of the same but different it's it's a tool designed to you know to get people you know flying um with with little or no experience and uh same kind of deal you can buy safe technology i think um off the shelf and you can also get it in in arps and things like that um oh see i didn't know you could get it on in a receiver off the shelf i think so that's that's good to know yeah i think um well i I can't say that to any certainty because I haven't I haven't sought it out. To, I had a an ARF that had it in there, and I didn't particularly care for the airplane, so I uh, sold it or traded it or whatever. But um, uh, I believe you could buy that receiver off the shelf. Um, and what airplane was that, by the way? I believe it was a Hangar Nine P fifty one. I believe. Uh, oh, you got rid of that one? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did not know that. I think um, that was one. That was the one I thought about getting off of you. That's been a few years ago. Yeah, it had the little 10cc gasser on it. Ran really, really good. Yeah, yeah it was a... Yeah, um, I remember you flew that at the the Warbird flying and, and, yeah. and stuff. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't fly bad. Huh. It just not... It, it didn't fly, in my opinion, like a P-51 should. And it wasn't designed to. It was designed... Uh, more or less as a as a second airplane, kind of a low wing trainer to get people away from trainers and into airplanes yeah. that look like airplanes. But um, yeah, yeah it wasn't that was kind of what 
that was kind of what took me away from that one. Is it, it? It was a good looking airplane, but it didn't have that actual P fifty one shape to it. You know, they 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 fudged a right. little bit here and there to kind of make it fly better, which is you know that's cool. I right. understand that was the point of it. No, if you want to exactly. scale P fifty one, that's not what you're going to get, and that's kind of what I didn't like about it. Right. Um, but it, so, you know, but yeah, it did, that, it did so. fly good and it did look good in the air and the engine ran good and, and all that, but the safe technology wasn't really, um, for me. And it was, um, in my opinion, uh, on that particular airplane on its highest setting, I, I don't believe if it was flying away from me, I could get it to turn and come back to me. It was limited that much. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it. I don't know how it does it. I'm sure it does it with uh, gyros and you know built into the receiver and all that. But I, mean, I think on its on its most severe setting or most corrective setting, for lack of a better word, it wouldn't let it bank more than ten or fifteen degrees. So if yeah, if it was flying away from me and I needed to turn the thing around, especially if I needed to turn it around quickly, uh, you know, to avoid a, say a tree or you know flying over, you know. You know, populated area or whatever, physically with the stick buried to the right or the left, it physically would not turn enough. So, I for that reason. Yeah, but you you could turn that off though, correct? You could. I mean, like completely off. Yeah, you could. Um, but okay. the airplane just wasn't set up to be aerobatic. But anyway, you know, that's not what we're talking about. Um, okay. The yeah. Uh, um, only other thing I think I want to talk about them before we uh, before we get off here. Okay. Uh, remotes. For the receivers. Okay. Like satellite receivers? Was, yeah, like satellite remote receivers, whatever you want to call them. Satellites, sure. remotes. Yeah. I've heard it both ways. Yeah, Spectrum um, and Futaba both use them. And so what's the point of those? Okay. So on the on the receivers, let's say we're talking about a, a regular rolled four-channel receiver, no satellite um, receivers, uh, plugged into it or anything like that it has the antenna you know coming right out of the receiver and our spectrum our dsm specifically receivers have really 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 short antennas because the signal is so good right it doesn't need these long antennas like we used to trail out the back of our airplanes or make them you know <laughs> you remember yeah um i've seen pictures yeah yeah um, never owned one like that right right my my poor contender here has got has got a still's got a scar in the side of the fuselage where the antenna used to come out but anyway um <laughs> so they're even though they're really 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 good um they're they're kind of limited um i don't want to say limited that's not not the correct uh word but they they can all they only gets a clear picture because the receiver is usually buried in the airframe right we don't stick our receivers on the outside of the airframes so therefore the receiver antenna is also inside the airplane so at some angles um that that the receiver you know when you're flying around you know obviously we don't just fly straight and level all the time we like to do loops and rolls and spins and all these other things occasionally during some of those maneuvers we may not present the best target for our transmitter to send a signal to. And what I mean by that is the antenna may not be in a prime position to receive the signal from the transmitter. Um, and yeah, so they they should be parallel to each other, you know, when you're flying. So to get the best transmission and the best signal to your receiver, um, you, you know, you don't, if you're looking right at it, you don't want that wire to be pointing right at you. Exactly. You want that wire to be 90 degrees from you. Yeah. Um, yep. 
And same, by the way, we didn't cover this, but same with the transmitter. When you're flying it, you don't want, you know, they, they bend. those the, the antenna bend. So that is because well, they, you want to be able to. They do on fly. ours. The new, new transmitters, they don't bend at all. Well, I guess that's true. They have they have such better right. and and smaller antennas in there even that work. But exactly for those of us that have some of the older ones, you know, when when you do have that bend and make sure, um, and this goes for any antenna, even like if you're trying to set up your home internet when you're working with your routers and 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 such, you want those antennas to be broadcasting. Um, you know, it's uh, I don't know how to describe it very well, but it's you know they they when it when that antenna is sticking up. That is when it broadcasts around it, so it doesn't broadcast out the end of it. It broadcasts right. around yes. what the uh, like the, how the antenna is pointed. Right. So always make sure you kind of bend that antenna. That way, you get better coverage. Got it. Um, okay. So uh, Spectrum, what they did um, to help alleviate that problem of of you know end to end transmission, let's just call it, which would be the weakest link between the two, right? As you can plug a another additional small receiver essentially um, into your main receiver that has antennas attached to it that you can then position in a different plane, if you will. And not by plane, I don't mean airplane. I mean a different (laughs) plane of reference, right? So for instance, if if I've got my AR7000 here mounted flat in the bottom of my fuselage with with the antennas pointing out you know, towards the left and the right, I can then plug in a satellite receiver, run it to a different part of the airplane, depending on how long my lead is, and then orient those antennas 90 degrees, ideally, to the antennas that are on the uh, main receiver. And what that does is it prevents um, a more robust, if you will, uh, target to receive the signals from the transmitter. Uh, so that's the purpose of satellite. And, and a lot of these newer receivers, you can plug, I think, three. There's some of them you can plug three satellite receivers. So if you've got a really big airplane or sailplanes, especially uh, really high-performance sailplanes, uh, the fuselages sometimes are made of carbon fiber. And carbon fiber is not a very yeah. good – It's it's it, I mean, it, it blocks. It'll block signal. Yeah. yeah. So it's important, especially on airplanes like that, to use these satellites – um, strategically to you know to try to get a good signal to your main receiver and and that's the function yeah, of a satellite yak, my yak has two of them yeah my uh my old uh hangar 9 yak here i've got uh, two satellites in that as well in addition to the main receiver um more yeah, right and and more is better was, <laughs> well know? yeah and the nice nice thing about those too is you know you can you can put a nice long lead on them Right and get them far away. Yep. Um. You know, if you have a bigger airplane, especially, get that as far away as you can. You know, don't just yep. put it right next to that other receiver, six inches away. Exactly. You know, I I think I have one on a a five foot uh, extension, and get that like back in the tail section. Get that as far back as you can. Yep. Yeah, I've got um, it. I've got it mounted in the turtle deck of my yak. Yeah. Right. And and the nice thing about that too is that kind of helps prevent some noise, especially if you have a gas engine, you know. Right. Those uh those ignitions create a lot of electronic interference and a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Um so by getting that as far away as you can, that helps too. Right. Yep. Yep. So that's the that's the function of of a satellite uh receiver. It's just it's just to augment the the sight picture if you will of your main receiver to get a a better signal uh from the transmitter. 
just to help guarantee that you don't get those brownouts or signal well, loss, that, rather. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with brownouts because right. they loss. don't. They don't. Yeah, they don't handle any uh, any electronic. Uh, I shouldn't say it. They don't handle any uh, servos or anything like that. You know, there's nothing right. else plugged into them. They are simply simply antennas. Yep. Um, that that yeah, they just give you a better signal uh, into the airplane so you can see it better. Um, not see it, see it, but you know, so your your receiver can talk to it. Uh, exactly. Your transmitter better. Yep. So yeah, that's right. Uh, anything else you want to cover on this one? Um, I don't know. I I kind of I kind of think I'd I'd like to talk just briefly um, about the the serial or the or the S bus type receivers. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, just that's fine. I I, I don't, don't know wanna, anything about those. So yeah, and I and I don't know very much about them. Um, aside from you know the the um, um, FPV and, and drone guys use them. Uh, because especially on these small racing drones, they don't have a lot of area. Now you room. yelled at me for talking about drones before, so now you're going to go ahead and do it. Well, I'm just that's where the application really <laughs> lies with with these receivers. Um, okay. And the only reason I mention is because um, if if buying a receiver is in your future, um, this might be one you can sort of take off of your radar because. For for standard model airplane use, we don't generally use those S bus or uh, PPL type receivers because they're really designed uh, not for airplanes. They're designed for drones and, and things like that. So, um, like I said, if if you're in the market for a receiver, that's one option you can sort of take off your list and try to help clear up the clear up the choices, uh, just because okay. they. Uh, they're really not designed for for standard RC plane type use with the servos and all that. That's really all I wanted to say about that. Okay, well that's good to know. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess if I see those out, I'll just walk by them and then ignore them and not do anything right. with them. I mean they they do they do have their they do have their use and and uh, they're pretty neat and slick what they can do. But uh, unfortunately, they they're not quite uh, what we are uh, are using with the RC airplanes. And besides that, I mean, we have other means we can use. The, the, they really clean up installations um, because you're only using one wire from the receiver to drive all these different motors in the case of uh, uh, drones. But, um, you know, we talked about the smart trays, and that's kind of the same idea, sort of. Um, and that's what we use to clean up the the mess in the big airplanes. So, anyway, stay away from those receivers. You don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Leave them. Leave them alone. And they're expensive anyway. Um, so there. Oh yeah, save some money then. Buy a, a higher channel receiver. There you go. See. <laughs> Buy more it than always you comes need back you to can. that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well then, I think for me, I'm done. If you're finished, then uh, we'll sign off until next time. I'm yeah, Ron. I'm Tom. See you later. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.